once again to your hearing. 1 John 5, verses 6 through 8. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Once again, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word, and now to the preaching of his word. Well, saints of Grace Reformed Baptist Church, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and greetings on behalf of the saints at Sentinella Baptist Church. Grace and peace to all of you. Well, brothers and sisters, I again disappoint you not bringing my lovely wife with me this morning. I know each and every time I don't have Delia next to me, it's some kind of disappointment for some of you. But I did bring one of our brothers here from Sentinella, and we do have the privilege uh, this Lord's Day of being able to worship with my brother and and sister-in-law from uh, Grace Church in Minden, Nevada. So I didn't bring my lovely wife, but I, I brought some others as a, as a peace offering to you. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we, we, we do thank our thrice holy God for another wonderful start to this Sabbath, and we do pray his blessing upon the preaching of God's word. Uh, I am excited for all of you, uh, especially for Sister Cobb, with regards to the baptism next Lord's Day. And I pray that this week is another week of anticipation and praise for you as you uh, anticipate being able to partake of that means of grace by by way of baptism. And we're going to touch on that a little bit in my next sermon. with, re- with regards to the reference of water in this text. But I do, I do want you to know the saints at Sentinel Baptist Church and myself, we, we rejoice with you. We are so grateful that the Lord continues to add to the number here at Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Palmdale. And as our, as our hymn goes, ponder anew what the Almighty can do, will do, does, each and every Lord's Day. Indeed, He is faithful. As we turn our focus to the preaching of God's Word and to the text of Scripture this Lord's Day, I'd like to call your attention to 1 John 5, verse 7. Verse 7 will be our text, this opening sermon. In this verse, we have before us the heavenly witness of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came by water and blood as written in verse 6 and in other places. The heavenly witness of the person and work of the Son. Certainly, when you consider heaven, the realities of heaven, the saints in glory, that great cloud of witnesses that the Apostle Paul speaks of in his message to the Hebrews, and subsequently the elect angels that we mysteriously consider by way of our confessional doctrines and the scriptures, we may conclude that the saints in glory and the elect angels bear witness to the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the heavenly testimony we find here in verse 7 is that of the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, 
God in three persons, perfect in unity, testifying to the blessed work of the incarnate Son. This is the testimony of God. This is your testimony. This is my testimony. This is the testimony of God. We will consider the three that bear witness under the sermon titled this morning, The Heavenly Witness of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, while there are three that bear witness, this witness is the same throughout. This message of the glorious gospel never changes, the witness never changes, nor does God's glorious plan of redemption. In this sermon, we will look at the Father's witness of His Son, the Son's witness concerning Himself, and lastly, the Spirit's witness of the Son. And as we flesh out these supporting points, the text I really want us to consider and keep coming back to in order to better understand verse 7 is Matthew 3, namely the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ sufficiently shows this heavenly witness mentioned by the beloved apostle in verse 7. And an old theologian once taught me to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture and to seek to understand a more difficult text by surveying those less difficult. And that old theologian is your pastor, by the way, just for reference. Without further introduction, let's go ahead and jump into the exposition. Our opening point, the Father's witness of His Son. The Father's witness of His Son. The first witness, properly speaking, is the Father's witness of His Son. Our Father, who art in heaven, is the Father of all creation, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of all those who are found in Him. As our Father in heaven bears witness to His own creation and the new creation of those who are in Christ, He also bears witness to the person and work of His beloved Son in whom He is well pleased. In both the baptism as well as the transfiguration in Mount Tabor, this witness of the Father is an audible witness. It's an audible witness. It's a vocal witness. One that is heard from heaven, as it were. Hear once again the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, 
Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Hear this, verse 17 of the third chapter of Matthew's Gospel account. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in, who, in whom excuse me, I am well pleased. The voice that came from heaven is the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son in, who, in whom I am well pleased. There is much to learn when considering and meditating on the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet this morning, our focus really, at least with this first point, needs to be on verse 17. How do these words bear witness to the one who is very God, very man? This certainly is the question we must ask this morning. Well, first, the Father testifies to the identity of the Son. Brothers and sisters, first, the Father, as a heavenly witness, uh, testifies to the identity of the Son. This is my beloved Son. You see, saints, the identity of our Lord Jesus Christ was always in question during His public ministry. Was always in question, especially by those who remained dead in their sin. The Pharisees, for example, when you read the gospel accounts, one has to conclude that the Pharisees hated Jesus, absolutely hated him, called him every name under the sun, mere man, false prophet, John 9, he's called a false prophet, clearly. A sinner. It is offensive to call the Lord Jesus Christ a sinner, as he was without sin, as he is without sin. And even accused him of some of the most heinous transgressions of the law. Did they not? Was he not accused of blaspheming God? Did they not attribute the miracles he performed to Satan? And his disciples were accused in a similar manner. This was all a rejection of his identity. This was all a rejection of his person and work as one born of God sent to redeem his people. As the suffering servant found in Isaiah, made flesh. This was all a rejection of that. And brothers and sisters, the identity of our Lord Jesus Christ remains rejected and in question by those who just took the mantle of the Pharisees, such as the Muslims or the Russellites. We continue to have a a plethora of world religions that are fixed on denying God the Son and the identity affirmed by the Father. And likewise, we continue to see sinners perish in their sin. This is 
according to the Holy Scriptures, the consequence of denying the testimony of God. It's the consequence of denying the testimony of God. As it is written, who is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. The beloved apostle has already mentioned that in the second chapter. Or again, in another place, and this is said by our Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. This is one reason St. Peter was asked, who do you say I am? We need to know, brothers and sisters, the truth concerning the testimony of the Son. And that testimony is plain. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the testimony. In Him there is eternal life. He is the one sent by the Father. He is the only begotten Son of God. And the cost of denying him is severe. To reject eternal life in him is to embrace the holy and just wrath of God due unto sin that awaits every single image bearer of God that will spurn the Son of Glory. Every man and woman on earth that rejects the free offer of God's grace will receive this just judgment. The judgment of eternal torment in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In a place where the thirst of man will never be quenched. In a place where comfort will never be offered. Hell awaits those who deny the testimony of his son like the Pharisees, like the Muslims, like the Russellites, and so on. Therefore, we heed the words of his Father. Consider this heavenly testimony, that this Jesus is the beloved Son, that he is the one in whom our Father is well pleased. And if you believe in him, if you trust in him, you will be saved. That is the testimony. It begins with his identity, who he is. And the second answer to this question of how these words in the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ bear witness comes by way of obedience. He is the Son. He is the obedient Son. The one that will suffer and die not for Himself, but for you and I. He is the one in whom the Father is well pleased. The Lord Jesus made himself known through various ways. One of those ways is his obedience as the incarnate son. The father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is pleased in his son. Much can be said here, beloved. We may spend the rest of the Lord's day And not just this sermon, every hour on this Sabbath discussing the glories of the obedience of Christ. 
He's pleased in the Son for several reasons. He is pleased as His Son is obedient to every one of His commands. It is not coincidence He states this at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is being baptized to fulfill all righteousness. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Look at his obedience for you. You need to baptize him, John, because he's being obedient. Yes, first and foremost for me as his father who art in heaven, but his obedience is unto you, it's unto your life. This pleased the father as it is the plan of redemption, that glorious plan of redemption at work in time and space. He pleased, he is pleased with his son as his son humbled himself before his father in heaven. Jesus is not only the servant, the obedient servant, he is the humble servant as we see in Philippians and other places in scripture. It pleased The father as his son is a humble son. He is pleased at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ because the baptism of Christ speaks to his work as mediator, the only mediator between God and man. The father is well pleased with the son as the son's work is to bring many sons and daughters into reconciliation with God, into glory. And the baptism of his beloved son is all a part of that gospel plan. And let's just get the elephant out of the room. He is pleased with his son as he has always been pleased with his son. He's always been pleased with Jesus. He's always been, the Father and I are one. There was never, I'll just leave it there. He's always pleased with his son. I got to be careful with some of these points because you can go on interesting tangents. But the second passage in scripture that we can consider, we won't spend too much time here, Um, that affirms the audible witness of the Father concerning the Son is found later in Matthew's Gospel account and other Gospel accounts. And it it comes by way of the transfiguration at Mount Tabor. Again, hear the word of the Lord. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Notice the slight difference. 
hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell to their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Again, notice the voice of the Father concerning the Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I don't want to belabor this opening point. So with regards to the transfiguration, let us just focus on those two words. Hear him. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is our priest. He is our king. He is also our prophet. He is the prophet. And the prophets of old were to be heard. Yet so many didn't listen, including Israel. Think of the times of Noah. Noah was a great prophet. Noah was a voice of reason for the image bearers of God on earth and went to preach. And he preached righteousness and was heard by few. The Father bearing testimony of the words of his Son. The times of old are done. In this new economy, I now speak through my Son. Hear him. Listen to him. Heed his words. His words are my words. He is speaking to you the word of God as one who is a prophet of God, the prophet of God. He is the one that would bring the words, that does bring the words of hope to Israel. Hear these words. This is the first witness. The second is like it. Our second point this morning. The son's witness concerning himself. The second heavenly witness that is mentioned in 1 John 5 is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Word, God the Son. He is a witness to the work of His Father prepared beforehand and a witness to His own mission. And as we consider Brothers and sisters, the testimony of the Son, we find the testimony of one who is willing. The testimony of one who is humble. When we read the gospel accounts, we can never take away from the words of our Lord that he is being coerced, forced, pressured, we see a willingness, a willing obedience. We see a, des- a perfect desire without blemish in Christ. We see one who is humble. Even as a 12-year-old, far beyond his years, 
teaching those who are well of age, learned in the law, we see the young Lord Jesus Christ show forth great humility to his own mother. One who is humble, and we see one who is full of grace. One who is full, who answered with grace, who loved with grace. We see one who is full of grace. The humble obedience is evident once again when you look at his baptism. During this hour, he says to the blessed John, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Permit what to be so? That he who created all things would now humbly submit himself to his own creation for the sake of their redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and the glory of his Father in heaven. The testimony of the Son is a powerful testimony. Suffer it now that John may fulfill his duty as the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ and not only announce his coming, but likewise baptize him as a testimony that the one prophesied of old, the one that has been we have been waiting for, is here. All of this is summarized in this sentence. Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He doesn't come with fear, with hesitancy, skittish. You and I come to Jesus Christ skittish, afraid. Do we have to clean ourselves completely off as much as we can before we believe? How could he forgive me? I did this, that, and the third. That's how we sinners come to Jesus. But Jesus comes to the blessed John as his Savior, as a testimony of himself, verifying the words of the Father, adding an exclamation point as he is the one that the Father is pleased in. He doesn't come with arrogance or partiality, but with humility and grace, as it is written. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. The one who is very God, very man, insists that John baptizes him, and in doing so bears witness to his role as the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. In other words, the humility in Christ's baptism actually demonstrates that he is the one sent by the Father. No man can show this kind of humility. And digging a bit deeper here, the fact that Jesus insists that John baptizes him also bears witness not merely to the humility, 
but the relationship with his father concerning the will of God. As it is written, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It was the will of the Father in heaven, of his Father in heaven, that he would be baptized by the blessed John in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was born under the law, Galatians 4.4, and therefore had to submit himself to the law of God in every respect. We have heard this already by way of our seventh commandment, law gospel reading. In order to fulfill his obligations under the old economy and earn the righteousness each and every one of us needs to stand before God, Jesus had to have John baptize him. This is so important. If John didn't baptize, if it's not John, the scriptures are a lie. The scriptures anticipate the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it also anticipates They also anticipate John baptizing our Lord Jesus Christ and the exact hour he's baptized and he's baptized in the Jordan. All of that is fulfillment and it bears witness to the saving work of the Son. We must not forget in considering this passage and all of the intricate details that Jesus came to live a holy life without blemish and present his body a living sacrifice so that you and I may receive the gift of eternal life through faith in him. As the apostle mentions in the subsequent verses in this chapter, Jesus insists John baptize him and submits himself to his prophetic authority for the purpose of our salvation. It needed to happen. In this example, we see the testimony of the Son concerning his public ministry. Likewise, in the example of the transfiguration of our Lord, we see the testimony of the Son concerning his ministry as the mediator, as the prophet, as The king. Again, when we consider the transfiguration like the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, much can be said. But I just want to call your attention to the response of our Savior after hearing the testimony of his Father in heaven there at Mount Tabor. Listen to what he says. And again, when the disciples heard it, they fell to their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus, I'm going to tell you something right now. When When you're reading the Bible, when you're reading the New Testament, and you read the words, but God, or but Jesus, go ahead and take a big sigh of relief. Okay? Martin Lloyd-Jones, I believe it's in his commentary on Romans, says there are no two sweeter words in the entirety of the Bible than but God, quoting uh, Romans 3.23. That breath of fresh air. Look at the breath of fresh air here. We'll read it one more time. And when the disciples heard it, they fell to their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What comes after the but God there or the but Jesus here? Well, comfort. 
relief, sufficiency. They looked and saw Jesus only. Well, why is that important? Because we only need Jesus. Because we don't need anything else. There wasn't, I mean, a box of Kleenex may have been helpful. They were probably tearing up, perhaps. That could have been helpful. Maybe um, a reality check, grabbing the sand. Okay, we're still on earth. That could have been helpful. But all they needed was, all they needed was their Lord, and that's all they, that's all they got. Sufficient. What does this have to do with our sermon, the text this morning? It's very simple. This shows the testimony of the Son. He is their comfort. He is peace. He is peace. He is comfort. He is sufficient. The response of the disciples show this. His shepherding, his pastoral care shows this. The focus of the ministry, the law, the prophets, everything the world was concerned about at that time, gone. It's all about Jesus. The, the law and the prophets, they're summed up in Christ. We, we understand them through Christ. Not just the law, not just the prophets, but all the fulfillment in the old economy. Summed up in Christ. Much still to come. His return, etc. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Christ. As that's all they needed. What a powerful testimony. Let us now move to our closing point with regards to this testimony. And I, I like that we're closing with this point because I'm going to preach the next verse in an hour or so. And we're going to start with this point as well as, as like a chain, as it were. But the Spirit's witness concerning the Son. Looking again, considering again, the baptism of our Lord one more time in this sermon. Doing this in order to help us better understand the heavenly witness found in 1 John 5, we see in the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ the testimony of the Spirit of God concerning the mission of the Son. And like this witness from heaven in the prior two points, the heavenly witness is one that is communicated to those on earth. The Father's voice was heard. The Spirit's descending was seen. Now, God was not seen. The Spirit's descending was seen. No man can see God face to face, his eyes, at least in this sinful estate. At the baptism of Jesus, the scriptures once again read, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and alighting upon him. In this final point, I'd like to simply point out what this witness really is concerning and who are the witnesses here, humanly speaking. Throughout the old economy, not consistently throughout the old economy, but in particular parts such as the flood account, we see this mention of a dove and this understanding that the dove is symbolic with regards to the spirit of God. But what here is the spirit communicating to us in this account, to John, to all mankind, as he descends upon the Son? What is the testimony, as it were, with regards to the Spirit at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ? There's three things I would like us to consider and help really preparing us even for our next message. The first is that Jesus is truly the Son of God and the very object of our faith. The testimony of the Spirit at the baptism of John, we may say, was a confirmation of his own faith. A confirmation that who he believed in is the one that was sent by God to save his soul. Likewise, as we read the account of the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ and see the Trinitarian aspects of the baptism. We affirm that he is the one that is the very object of our faith. He is the one that is truly full of the Spirit and of grace. Secondly, the descending of the Holy Spirit must communicate to us that new life is found in him. You see, like the Spirit hovering over the waters of creation, signifying life, one may even say new life, life that wasn't there prior, or in the times of Noah, as the branch is brought in the mouth of the dove, signifying to Noah that there is there's life. The Spirit at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ is testifying to the new creation that is found in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. New life is found in Him. And then thirdly, the descending in the shape of the dove signifies the qualities that are communicated, which are, as one theologian writes, simplicity, meekness, love, and also of the dove-like innocence, humility, and affection of Christ on whom he lighted shows the relationship between the Son and the Spirit and its perfection. It's, a, it's, a, it's, amazing, it's a, amazing Spirit-shown testimony as we see the dove, as we read the dove descending 
upon our Lord at baptism. And who are the witnesses? Well, surely it's the one who baptized him. He was a witness of this heavenly witness, as it were. But are we not witnesses of this glorious truth? Of course we are. We are to be witnesses to the end of the earth. As I was driving up through the 14, talking to Brother Renee, we had a brief moment talking about church planting and the purpose of the Great Commission and how we are to take this very testimony to the ends of the earth. And I'm not advocating that all of you start going to Chile and in Alaska and going to preach the gospel. It needs to be done orderly. That's why we have church planters. That's why we pray for brothers. That's why we send out missionaries and support them, so on and so forth. But the message, the reason for this is the testimony of Christ, that there is eternal life in him. And we are the witnesses. We are the witnesses of something that occurred some 2,000 years ago. And as we consider this heavenly witness, we conclude that these three are one. I'm sure if your pastor preached this sermon, he would spend an ample amount of time on that last doctrine of God bit. Because that's what it's with reference to. The divine essence. They are one in essence. One in unity. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. But it is likewise with reference to the witness. They are one in witness. They're witnessing the same thing. They're, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're not, we're not divided in the witness here. It's one witness of the same truth. That Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God and the only Savior of sinners. There's two brief points of contemplation. The first is this. Do you believe the testimony of God? Brothers and sisters, do you believe this testimony? And do you believe that this testimony is the testimony of God? I can't tell you how many times I've ministered to a friend or, or a family member or someone at church visiting and I hear the Bible is written by man right as that if that's like the last end-all be-all conversation ender right Bible's written by man how can we trust the scriptures they're written by man scriptures are of God they're God breathed theonustos breathed by God Sure, we could say the Bible is written by man. God uses means. But it's the testimony of God. And the testimony of the testimony is that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Do we believe that testimony? And do we believe that testimony is of God? And the second contemplation is like it. Have you counted the cost of discipleship? Because if we believe this testimony, it means something. 
you see the demons believe and tremble. Okay, congregation, many, many affirm this Christ and this testimony being of God and would rather starve than come. Let us both consider the testimony of this heavenly witness concerning the Son. And let us consider what it means to affirm that Jesus Christ is the Son of God to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the heavenly witness concerning him. We pray that you would continue to work in and through us for your glory. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.